A quick content note here before we begin this episode of What Am I Rolling? This episode's RPG, Field Guide to Memory, is, at its heart, a solo journaling game and deals with some mature themes. These themes include death, loss and grief, betrayal, cryptid and animal attacks, the breakdown of relationships, and there are some mentions of alcohol as well. Be kind to and responsible with yourself when listening, and do take a break or skip an episode should you need to. Thanks, and stay safe, my friends. Hello, and welcome to What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Hosted by me, Fiona. This is part two of our Field Guide to Memory one-shot, so make sure you listen to the first part before continuing on with this episode. To briefly recap, my mentor, the beloved and illustrious cryptid researcher, Dr. Elizabeth Lee, has been officially declared dead five years after she went missing in the field. She spent 20 years studying the pronged horned desert rat, Dipotamus antilocapra, an antlered rat that has not yet been confirmed to exist, hence a cryptid. As Amy Parker, her closest mentee, I have been unravelling the narrative of my mentor's life and relationships through her research and her community, through postcards, through the professor's field notes, through strange scraps and all the physical detritus that accumulates from being alive. It is now up to me to carry on her legacy. In week one, despite my best letter-writing efforts, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions refused to release Dr. Lee's research to the public. However, a mysterious friend, one Melanie Sparrow, junior archivist at the Institute, has been in touch with some promising leads and scans. An additional note in her letter told me that she was part of a collective of fellow cryptid enthusiasts and allies, and that their goals to preserve Dr. Lee's legacy were aligned with my own. Most importantly, however, my friend instructed that I shouldn't trust the Institute. Field Guide to Memory is a collaborative and narrative journaling game where you, the player, create a physical artifact of play that is completely unique to your individual experience. For 20 consecutive days, the player will receive between one to two journaling instructions, prompts, and images of ephemera relating to Dr. Lee. Through writing, drawing, and mapping out your character's experiences, you will explore the ecosystem of Dr. Elizabeth Lee's remarkable yet complicated life as you explore your own feelings and your role in her carefully constructed universe. A quick spoiler warning here though, if you're planning on playing Field Guide to Memory and don't wish to be spoiled, stop listening now and come back when you're ready. One last thing before we begin. Naturally, there are times in this one shot where the players and myself, well, mostly myself, get the rules wrong or forget something plot-wise. For example, there are a lot of scientific language and Latin names for animals in this one, which I definitely get wrong. I know, before you start, it should be Antilocapra, not Ancelocapra. Just thought I'd put that out there now. Whilst we always endeavour to stick to the rules wherever possible, at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. And what matters most is that everyone enjoys themselves. So, with all that out of the way, let's get back to Field Guide to Memory. 
part two, citizen scientists. Day six, let me introduce myself. Hello, let me introduce myself. My name is Olivia Chin, and I am a representative of the Little Citizen Scientist Club, Vice President of the Keystone Elementary School Cryptid Appreciation Club, 7th grade class valedictorian, and a fellow cryptid enthusiast and ally. I'm reaching out to you today because I have identified you as a potential ally in our quest to obtain the research of Dr Elizabeth Lee, who is the co-founder of the Little Citizen Scientist Club and our beloved mentor. We have already written to the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions, including formal letters to their director and the archives. We have only received non-committal responses. Thus, we are seeking an adult, preferably one with a significant professional standing and reputation in the field of cryptobiology, to work collaboratively with us to get Dr. Lee's research released to the public. We believe this is a matter of utmost importance, and we hope that you will help us with what I believe is our most important mutual goal. We hope to hear from you soon. You can contact me from my mom in brackets, Margaret, at margichin at gmail.com. In brackets, sorry, she wants to read all mail that comes from adults. Sincerely, Olivia Chin. You spent the weekend reading and rereading Melanie Sparrow's response to your request for more of Dr. Lee's research materials and the strange note that came with it. If you wanted to, you could probably recite them from memory. For two days, you wrote and discarded drafts of a response to Melanie or to your friends who you've confided in about your feelings since Dr. Lee's disappearance. In the end, you sent nothing. Something about this settles in your stomach like a bad meal. Do you reply to Olivia? Flip a coin. If it is heads, draft your letter to Olivia Chin in the diary section of your journal. Use no more than 100 words and remember that you are writing to a child, so keep your language and tone appropriate. If it is tails, you do not write to Olivia Chin. Instead, go back and look at Melanie Sparrow's reply to you. Scan it for clues about whether you think they are a part of this, and based on your intuition, draft a letter to them, using no more than 100 words in the diary section of your journal. Oh, I really want to re reply to Olivia. She seems earnest, and I love the fact that she used all of her titles in the first part when introducing herself. That shows confidence, and I like that. Oh, so I feel bad if I don't get it. Um, alright. I'm gonna look for... Tossing a coin up. Okay. Okay, it's flipping. It's tails. Oh, I'm really gutted. Really gutted. Well, it's tails. I don't write back to Olivia Chin, and that makes me feel really sad, actually. I mean, sod it. No, I'm going to change this a little bit, because, yeah, I already wrote to Melanie as correspondence. <sighs> sod it. I'm going to write to Olivia. Frankly, you know, I don't want to crush someone's dreams. Not today. So let's do that. I'm going to write back to Olivia. Dear Olivia, thank you so much for your letter. It is always a joy to hear from a fellow cryptid enthusiast and from the Little Citizen Scientist Club. I too have been writing requests to the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions in regards to Dr Lee's work and research and, unfortunately, I have met the same challenges as you have described. Nevertheless, I am persistent in my request, so any breakthroughs I make, I will be more than happy to share with the Little Citizen Scientist Club. Best of luck with all your work, Amy Parker, Wildlife Educator, Cryptid Research and Rehabilitation Hub, London Zoo.
I'm thinking because I've dealt with so much over the last couple of days. It's quite nice that someone else is on the same track. And, you know, it's what she would have wanted. Like, the Little Citizen Scientists Club, you know, it's very important to Dr. Lee. So I don't want to, I don't want to not do it. And then at the end of this prompt, there is a, well, another letter. It's a photocopied letter from Dr. Elizabeth Lee congratulating Olivia Quinn on being the youngest person to found a chapter of a Little Citizen Science Club. I'm going to read it out. From the desk of Dr. Elizabeth Lee. January 2014. Dear Olivia and all members of my new Keystone Elementary family, congratulations on forming the newest chapter of a Little Citizen Scientist Club. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to hear about your journey towards becoming scientists, and I am already so awed by your commitment and dedication to discovering, exploring and preserving our precious natural world. Olivia, as a second grader, I think you are currently the youngest founder of an LCSC chapter. I am very proud of you. You asked for some of my notes on the pronged horned desert rat, the focus of my research over the last decade. I have included a drawing I've made recently and some additional notes, some of which are not publicly published yet. Notes on the pronged horned desert rat, in brackets, Dipotamus ancillocapra. I theorise that D. ancillocapra shed its antlers annually, just like the pronged horned antelope. But these antlers are much more fragile and shatter easily, which is why we have not been able to retrieve an intact specimen. The desert rat is obviously found in deserts, but there are many different kinds of deserts. Most reported sightings have been in the western United States. C-A-A-Z-N-V-M-M. So that's California, Arizona, Nevada and New Mexico. And these deserts are all extremely varied, including high deserts, low deserts and the extremely harsh desert conditions of the Sonoran Desert. Please keep me updated on your club's activities. I feel so honoured to be part of your incredible new generation of scientists, makers and world changers. With love, Elizabeth. Day 7. Beyond the Den The night you graduated, you and your friends stayed up to the single-digit hours of the following morning. You don't remember the entire night now, but the road trip to the Bigfoot Burles stands out in your recollection with vivid clarity. There were 11 of you, negotiating how to fit your whole troop into three modestly-sized cars, all of you stood, united in your determination to drive the hours-long trip to the Bigfoot Burlesque, a nightclub in Portland, Oregon, where the dancers dressed as various cryptids for their acts. As you worked out where you'd meet if one of the cars got lost or dropped cell service, you noticed Dr. Lee walking towards her own car, which was parked nearby. Still dressed in her doctoral regalia, at some point she switched her formal shoes for flip-flops and wore a pair of hilariously oversized aviator sunglasses to ward off the low, harsh rays of the setting sun. She waved and meandered over, calling out, 
And what is this intrepid crew of newly minted Alma Mater planning on getting up to on this momentous night? We're caravanning to the Bigfoot Burlesque, you told her. You should come with us, one of your friends added, in a jocular tone that indicated they had no expectation that Dr. Lee would accept. That sounds great, beamed Dr. Lee. Hours later, four cars, one of which was Dr. Lee's beaten-up little hatchback, stuffed to the gills with a mix of camping gear and other detriments, arrived in the parking lot of the Bigfoot Burlesque. Take a break in reading through the flashback and follow the instructions below, writing them in the field guide section of your journal. Once you're finished, continue reading. What do you think a rabbit's bounding gait pattern looks like? Without looking it up online, draw your best guess. What do you think a rat's bounding gait pattern looks like? Without looking it up online, draw your best guess. Alright, bounding gait, I presume that's just the way they move, right? Um, how do I... a gait? Is that you have to do, like, pictures? Like, um, is it about where the feet land? Um, I'm gonna have to draw this. So, I guess, for a rabbit, because I think rabbits... Rabbits don't... they hop everywhere, don't they? So I think it's like... It's like they... I think, from what I remember, they, like, put two feet together and jump. So the first, like, two paws, like, leap and they kick out their legs, right? So I think it's like left leg, right leg, left leg, right leg. And they go, what? Uh, left leg, right leg, land first. And then the other two are cut out. And then the back legs come close. They're relatively close together, right? Once they're done, so... I don't know how you draw gait patterns, to be honest with you. Rats, though. Rats, I assume... Do they bound? I thought rats just walked normally. They sort of scurry. I think it was smaller, I think. So I think rabbits are bigger, but maybe smaller for rats. Because they, I guess they move much quicker, don't they? So they're like scurry, like scurry, scurry, scurry. So yeah, so smaller, smaller bounding gait, I guess. Whereas I think a rabbit might be a bit more medium. Not huge, because rabbits, I guess it's, it's going to be bigger than obviously a rat, because obviously, you know, they're bigger creatures, but... I think rats move quicker than rabbits. Right, well, I can't tell you how bad these drawings look. I'm so I'm so glad I'm not I don't have an actual book for these to be in. When you arrived, Dr. Lee had already taken off the academic robe and replaced it with an oversized, slightly ratty pullover with the club's logo on the front. And I saw Bigfoot, and all I got was this reasonably priced sweatshirt on the back. One of your friends whispered to you, What the hell? Has she been here before? You couldn't see her face, but you felt sure Dr. Lee was smirking. The bouncer was playing a game on his phone, and when he looked up to check your IDs and saw Dr. Lee, his heavy-set face broke into an open, boyish grin. It's been a minute, Lizzie. They shared a bear hug and joked around for a few seconds, and when Dr. Lee beckoned to you and your friends, the bouncer waved you in enthusiastically. Come in, he said. If Lizzie will vouch for you, you're all good by me. Tell Billy, first round's on me. You're a king amongst men, Dr. Lee had to yell to be heard over the music blasting through the doors the second she opened them. It took Dr. Lee less than half a beer to start drawing tracks and gait patterns on the bright cocktail napkins. So you see, she shouted over the music, I think there will be strong evidence to suggest the pronghorn desert rat might be a bridge between Rodentia and Lagamortha based on the set of tracks I found in Sedona. How are you sure they're D and Silla Capra? 
he shouted back. I took casts and ran them by three of my colleagues in wildlife zoology. They said, oh, hi, honey. Dr. Lee paused to return the embrace and kiss on the cheek of a dancer dressed like the Gumboro. The club was crowded, and by your account, one out of every ten people who passed your table to get to the bar recognised Dr. Lee, either as a fan of her old nature shows or possibly more personal reasons. All of them seemed delighted to see her. Back to what I was saying, she shouted. I took a plaster cast of the tracks and I found a tracker whose assessment I trust. And you know what he said? He said I messed up the cast, that it was just a rat. Have you ever known me to mess up a cast? It took some convincing, but he finally agreed that, except for their small size, he would have sworn he was looking at jackrabbit tracks. Ha <laughs> ha! Maybe it will turn out not to be Dipodamus ancylocapra, but Lagomorpha ancylocapra. Even now, years later, you remember the hopeful triumph ringing in the air as Dr. Lee raised her glass and led a toast, egging on not just you and your friends, but anyone with an earshot to join you. I want to congratulate this group of brilliant people tonight. Each one of you are venturing beyond the cushioned den of academia into the vast unknown of your life. Make it a good one. Make it excellent. To your futures. Look at the bounding gait of a jackrabbit and a wild rat, respectively. On your napkin, draw each of their gait patterns side by side. Once you are done, attach it to a page in the diary entry of your journal. All right, let's have a look-see. Jackrabbit gait. Oh, gait analysis, okay. So hilariously, putting the phrase jackrabbit into Google search, I just get a brand. How interesting. Ah, oh, there we go. Aha! Oh, yeah, so I get it. Oh, okay. So gait is just the footprints, but it's the symbol of the foot. So for the jackrabbit, it's um, the two feet, the hand feet at the top, and then the front f front feet... The right one is a little bit further than the other one. Oh, and it just repeats itself. That makes sense. No, oh, it makes sense a lot more now. Oh, so I did it as a bounding thing, like a, with lines. I wonder what a rat is then. Let me have a look-see. Ah, oh, see, they've done it differently. Ah, wild rat tracks. That's probably better, isn't it? Ugh, their feet are weird. It's like little hands, but elongated. Um, at the back. Yeah, with the back feet look a little bit longer. Okay. Once you've attached the napkin with your gate patterns drawn, look up origin cryptids using an online search function. Find one, and on the opposite page as the napkin, write down its name with the proposed scientific name underneath it if you can find it, and based on whatever visual representation, draw what you think the front and back foot tracks would look like in the field notes of the section of your journal. Underneath that, in a simple bullet point list, or as a quick sketch, describe what a costume of that cryptid might might look like. So it turns out there's loads of these things. Is that a bat person? Okay, someone's put bat squash. Devil's Lake monster? Dogman? Oh, Dogman sounds horrific. Oh, Gumbaro. Ah! So that's what one looks like. I did not know that. Well, let's make it easy. I'm going to go for the Gumbaro. Okay, so Gumbaro, I found its name, is, oh god, how am I going to pronounce that? Mega 
log gaster repercussus. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. I'll write that down. Dangerous to humans and therefore classified as an animal. It says to look like a fat bear in shape, but it's completely hairless, except for its prominent eyebrows and bristly hairs on its chin. Instead, it has dark, smooth, extremely tough leather skin. It makes the beast invulnerable to bullets and arrows. How convenient. Its weakness is fire and is the only way known to defeat it. It's always said to be hungry and devours anything it can find that looks like food. Okay. Um, so now I need to, what did it say? Based on whatever visual representation there is, draw what you think its front and back foot tracks would look like in the fields notes section of your book. Okay. Um... I love the idea that it just looks like the rabbit, the jackrabbit. So it's that sort of two paws forward, then one, and it's like bounds towards its enemies. Yeah, so I'm just going to draw that, make that quick. And then what a costume of that cryptid would look like. Well, so I do see someone who's dressed like this. I like the idea that actually it is somebody dressed in like almost black bodysuit uh, covered in special um, oils or, or, or fire inducing liquid so that they would perform like a big sort of fire display you know like when you see those those uh, beautiful women it's always beautiful women you know play with fire juggle with fire and then up and down on their skin and then eating it and, and all that sort of thing so yeah I think it's one of those sort of costumes and the big sort of like um in the picture it's got like huge teeth so I think the makeup of it like the smile or the grin will go all the way up past the eyes and there's huge eyebrows absolutely massive eyebrows and like facial hair absolutely that would be amazing so there's finally there is a photograph of the fridge which includes a range of travel magnets and other fridge detriments there is a napkin from the bigfoot burlesque which is is like a yellowish napkin and then there's a sketch of gate patterns on dr lee's handwriting that's really frustrating that oh, so that's what it looks like very cool though. I, I I didn't know anything about gate passes before. And of course there is a Little Citizen Science Club Know Your Rodents postcard featuring several rodents gates. Oh so honestly. Day eight. It is gorgeous outside. It is gorgeous outside. Your exact favorite kind of weather. Write what kind of weather you like the most and why in no more than 50 words in the diary section of your journal. Okay, so this is interesting. Um, gorgeous outside it indicates like sun, right? That's what it's supposed to be, but that's not my favorite kind of weather. My favorite kind of weather is storms. I really like watching storms late at night and being able to, when it breaks, right? So you have all that heat, all the, there's like this anticipation and stuff, and then it breaks and it rains and there's lightning and it's just so exciting to watch. And to an extent where you could go out in it as well, but obviously, you know, safety, etc. But absolutely, a storm, a summer storm, I guess. That's my favourite kind of weather. So I guess that's happening outside for me right now.
So I'll just write that down. So yeah, that's, that's that. Next, answer the following question in your field notes uh, with as much or as little detail as you prefer. Where do you live? Uh, look at your mental application to see this, your city or habitat. So I definitely put London. Or at least did I put London? Let me just... So I put urban jungle slash concrete flat. So unhelpful. But yeah, London is where I am. Look up a park or piece of public land within 20 mile radius of your habitat. Write the name of the park, its location and anything notable that stands out to you. Okay, so there definitely is stuff like Stratford Park. Stratford Olympic Park, so I guess, I guess I'll put that in. Ah, so it's a full name, it's Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. I did not know it was called that. On the website it says, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park knits a vibrant area of East London into a modern urban destination, redefining the historical, industrial and creative heartlands of Stratford and Hackney Wick as an exciting, sustainable place to work, live, study, play and visit. God, that's a very long sentence. Um... Former Olympic and Paralympic venues, including the London Stadium, London Aquatic Centre, the Copper Box Arena, and the Lee Valley Velo Park. It's a very, very pretty website, I guess. Notable thing about it is there is the... How do I pronounce this? I did not realise it was called it. The Arsenometal Orbit. It's the orbit, I call it. It's a big tower, essentially. It was like a big sculpture that they made, and you can slide down it. Let's see, explore the park. What else we got here? Uh, there's lots of free trail guides. That's quite nice. Restaurants and cafes, uh, which probably are currently closed or reduced opening. Oh, there's a, a boat tour I could do. Swan Pedalo. It's very pretty. It definitely is not this pretty when I go visit Erisotten. London's Blossom Garden, a living memorial to commemorate the city's shared experience of the coronavirus pandemic. Planted north of the park, garden has 33 blossom trees, each representing a London borough, including the city of London. The trees are arranged in three close circles made up of eight different species of tree. Every spring, the garden will come alive with hawthorn cherry, cherry plum and crab apple blossom, creating a stunning scene of colourful blossoms against a backdrop of vibrant green surrounding parklands. Wow, there seems to be a lot going on that I did not realise. I mean, that's pretty cool. Let's see, one last thing I'll have a look at. Tours and trails. I've done these trails. I've actually done these trails, but not as trails, just as, um, <laughs> as a run. How interesting. Ah, here we go. History trees. Ackroyd and Harvey. British artists Ackroyd and Harvey create a series of living artworks to mark the main entrances to the park. Ten specimen trees are chosen to reflect the biodiversity of the park. Each support a large bespoke metal ring within their crowns. The rings are engineered from bronze or stainless steel, are six metres in diameter, and individually engraved interior face with text capturing an archive of history from each location. I've actually seen these rings. I actually wondered, I thought they were like um, something to help with the trees to like stop them going because they look very futuristic. Oh, that's really cool. I did not know that. They do look like as if you're playing that sort of ring toss thing so that there's a huge ring had gone over a tree. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really realised all this because, I mean, I just ran through it. You know, I just hadn't really considered well, anything about it, really. Yeah, it says in the notes I should, you know, I should go have a look. 
Maybe I'll do that today at some point. The weather and your open schedule of your day prompts you to check the hours of the parks in your local vicinity. Many of them are open for the day, until sundown, and there's one in particular whose hiking trails you've walked many times. The next portion involves two prompts, both in your field notes section. Look at a map of a park and note the hiking trails or walking paths. So they've done a hand-sketched one, the main trail for Beetle Park. Well, I, I've just... Of course, I've just closed that tab, haven't I? But there's one for Stratford I just, I just saw. So I can use that one. Draw a small box in the lower corner of your page and make a few simple symbols to serve a shorthand for the following. Where on the trail Dr. Lee stopped to show you some animal sign. Where on the trail you and Dr. Lee ease into talking about your personal lives. Where on the trail Dr. Lee showed you how to identify introduced species of plant. Where on the trail you and Dr. Lee stopped to sit in silence and watch the activity of flora and fauna around you. Once you draw and mark your map with symbols in your legend key, underneath it or on a new page, write your memory of the last time you and Dr. Lee went hiking in this park, using no more than a hundred words and still working in your field notes. Okay, so let's see if we're taking the art trail. Where on the trail where Dr. Lee stopped to show you some animal sign? Okay, so if we're looking at the Stratford Art Trail, so we came out of the Stratford International, it would have been the first park we go to. So within five minutes, literally we go there. She would have stopped us as we went into this sort of green bit of the park and pointed down to the mud, because it is close to the, the wetland woodlands. And she sort of points down and she shows in the sort of the gentle bit of mud by some by some bush that there are paw prints. These paw prints sort of match, she said, said, the way it sort of is to a badger of some sort. So she wonders if there's a badger set nearby. And she points to little bits and pieces and then carefully she underlooks a a bush and, yeah, sees the telltale signs of a badger set. Um, so this whole area could easily be a badger set, which is quite interesting. Where on the trail you and Dr. Lee eased talking about your personal lives? It would have been... Quite later on in the walk, we would have crossed over the main bridge, the yeah, the lower down bridge. So we would have come past the Timber Lodge Cafe all the way down. And there's a bridge that overlooks the River Lee. And we would have looked over. Yeah, just started talking about that. I think, again, because I only refer to Dr. Lee as Dr. Lee, never Elizabeth. So it kind of feels like a bit personal. But I guess she would volunteer information by saying her partner and her used to come here all the time and look over the bridge into the water to see the ducks when they were in London. And this is the first time I've obviously she's volunteered this information. Um, she got married when she was very young. Um, love at first sight. And they were very, very happy. Her partner was so enthusiastic for her passion, encouraging and stuff. And then Dr. Lee goes quiet and she talks about how, you know, they were taken quite young. Undiagnosed heart disease, short illness. Um, and she goes quiet. And I, I'm quiet too. And I talk about how my uncle had similar and it's hard when 
someone has taken from us so so early, so soon, so suddenly. And I understand, in a way. And Dr. Lee talks about how it's so important to have someone to support you. No matter where that person is, whether they're with us all the time or whether they're not here anymore. That memory, that sort of willingness, that support is all that is needed. You believe in yourself, absolutely, but having someone else that you love believe in you too is magical. And we look out over the River Lee into the wetland bowl, looking at the ducks. Where on the trail Dr. Lee showed you how to identify introduced species of plant? Okay, so here I think we would have gone back into the wet woodlands for a bit. It's not overgrown, but there's definitely different types of um, flora and fauna there. So no doubt she would have given us a huge big talk about like all the different plants and, and stuff there. Literally, there's, um, oh, I wonder if that's where the, um, the telephone boxes are. Yeah, I think that's where it is. So there's, um, there's like two telephone boxes, like, uh, standard traditional red pill box sort of telephone boxes. Um, one of which is cut in half and it's, they each stand on either side of the pathway. And it's a very bizarre sight. Um, I think it was supposed to be there so that people could take pictures of themselves next to a phone box in the middle of nature. I mean, they're a bit grubby now. Yeah, that's where it'll be in the wetland woodlands, wouldn't it? So yeah, so no doubt whilst we're there, like maybe I'm taking a picture of the <laughs> these ridiculous uh, phone boxes. She is like looking around and like showing, identifying it and say, oh, look, these particular ones, they must have been induced for the Olympics. And look at this. And like t takes a couple of cuttings and leaves and sort of shows, you know, the difference between them. Where on the trail you and Dr. Lee stopped to sit in silence and watch the activity of flora and fauna around you? Okay, easily, easily. This is actually going off the art trail. We would have gone to Mandeville Place and the trail goes off to Carpenter Lock and the Pleasure Gardens down near the orbital, but she would have said, oh, let's just go this way, this way. And we would have gone to the Great British Gardens, which is very quiet on that side of the stadium. And... She would have made us sit down in the centre. I highly recommend going if you've ever in Olympic Park, Stratford. It's very small. So if you've got more than three people there, it does feel quite crowded. And just being next to the river, being next to the stadium, it's quiet. There is a road next to it, but it's, it's very quiet. And just seeing the, the breeze sway the the leaves and the trees and hearing like the splash of the ducks or the the animals in the in the river as it splits it's very peaceful though it's very weird because it's obviously next to this huge stadium where obviously all these football fans go and on the other side of it i know for a fact there is the bobby moore academy which is a secondary school no doubt i think for story wise they would have um <laughs> we would just be sat perfectly peaceful, happy, content, and then the bell would ring and suddenly all these bloody school children would come out, you know, shouting and, and jeering and laughing, breaking that sort of magic. 
write a memory of the last time you and Dr. Lee went hiking in this park using no more than a hundred words. Um, well, I think I've kind of done that really. I've sort of talked it through about all these different things. There's all these different flashes. And it's just, yeah, like a montage in a way, this sort of pretty place. Everything's just connected and it's so... I like it. I miss her. It was such a bonding experience. When you arrive back home, the first thing you see is a familiar beige tone envelope sticking out of the corner of your mailbox. It is the Institute. You instinctively reach to open it and draw your hand back. It can wait till morning. What pleasant, quiet activities occupied the rest of your evening? Write them in a simple bullet-pointed list in the diary section of your journal. Um, well, I think I would have put on some music and I think I would just read a good book. Probably listening to the sound of the rain against the window. And had an early night. That's kind of it, really. Day nine, immediate release. Ooh, there's a, there's a letter. Oh, it's a letter from the Institute, okay. For immediate release. After the tragic loss of their beloved colleague, Dr. Elizabeth Lee, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions is launching a multi-year archive project to document and catalogue the late researchers' work. We would be moving a lot quicker on this work, of course, but our archivists have been overwhelmed by the number of requests from Dr. Lee's fans said the Institute Director, Dr. Ed Yang. All of us loved Elizabeth, and we are committed to her research being accessible to the public, as it is a matter of public interest. But lay people do not always understand our processes. Her research does not currently exist in a publicly accessible format. Whilst the timeline has not been confirmed, the Institute is committed to sharing Dr. Lee's life work with the general public that enthusiastically supported her work for over a decade. Elizabeth was able to transcend the boundaries of academia and make her cryptid research approachable for a whole new generation of scientists, Dr. Yang adds. It would be a tragedy if the overreaching demands from the community Elizabeth held dear was what stood in the way of making our archives accessible. Dr. Elizabeth Lee was a researcher at the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions, the leading cryptid research institute in North America. She was recently declared dead after going missing during a field research trip in 2015. Her current will bequeaths all of her research to the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. You can only remember one conversation you had with Dr. Lee about Director Yang. It was when she was interviewing with the Institute. He's younger, she had explained. He doesn't even like being called Dr. Yang. Finally, I might have a boss that isn't one of those stodgy old white ivory tower men. I'm tired of dealing with them. After she joined the Institute, she never mentioned him again. When was the last time someone you had high hopes for truly disappointed you? Um, I think it would be my partner, Harinda Paul, the person we set up our own little hub. After about 
a year, Harinda Paul got some of the job and he hid it from me. Like, we were going to work together on this. Like, it was our little project together that we dreamed and talked about for ages. And I could tell that he wasn't enjoying it as much. It was a lot more work than we initially thought. Obviously, that's how projects work. You know, you, you build up, you have to go, you know, it's always going to be short-term difficulty over long-term gain. And I don't think Harinda Paul, Harry, saw that. And he hid it very well. He, I mean, I could tell that he was just getting on with work. He became quieter. And it's really obvious if there's only two of you in the office. And then one day he came in and told me that he'd got this other job. Um, he was going to uh, Chester Zoo. He said that the pay was good. And he, we, we had a couple of setbacks with research grants and, and stuff like that. And he just was like, there's no money in it. London Zoo will cut us at some point. It took a chance and it's, you know, it's been a year and there's been no development. Like, we've got nothing to show for it. So he's jumping ship and I should too. I told him to get stuffed. I said, I'll make it work and get out of my office. I haven't spoken to him since. I think he's been very successful there at Chester. I mean, he, I, he unwittingly perhaps put me as a reference. I gave him a glowing review. There's no point. Like, you know, it's a small world. People hear about other people like why would I discredit him you know it's not personal per se he had to do what he thought was best for himself and his family so I wrote him the best reference I could get so I don't know if he ever knew that it tears me up completely that um that happened what do you wish you could tell the director straight to his face if the two of you were alone in a room together? <sighs> I need to write words which I feel directly in response to the press release, uh, which was sent directly to my address. Okay, no more than 50 words. Okay. Okay, so I've thought long and hard about it. It's definitely over 50 words. But my response to the director is simply this. You absolute piece of shit. How fucking dare you? Talking about Dr. Lee and the community and her supporters as if they were nothing but an inconvenience, like a stain on your fucking shirt. Without them, without Dr. Lee, your institute would be fucking nothing. You are fucking nothing. You are just another money-grabbing, admin, pencil-pusher asshole. Fuck you. <laughs> this is classic academia at its highest. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck about small people. It's just another inconvenience or a lot of work. It's admin, which can give them money. So instantly it's like they don't care about anyone else. Ed Yang, absolutely fuck you, mate. Oh, wanker.
Day 10. Lay people. Hello. In case you're still uncertain of my identity, this is Olivia Chin, Vice President of the Keystone Elementary School Cryptid Appreciation Club, 7th grade class valedictorian, Victorian, and a fellow cryptid enthusiast and ally. I befriended Dr. Lee over five years ago when I founded our chapter of the Little Citizens Scientist Club, and I included a letter she wrote to us earlier as proof. I wrote to you earlier about Dr. Lee and how hard our branch of the Little Citizen Scientist Club and other cryptic clubs nationwide are working to obtain and release Dr. Lee's research at the Institute. I am sure the Institute's recent press release disappointed you. Everyone at the Keystone Elementary School Cryptid Appreciation Club, or KESCAC for short, thought it was desultory and stupid. After an emergency meeting, we took a vote and decided to reach out to other branches of the LCSC. I am not certain of your awareness of it, but the Little Citizen Scientist Club has branches in all 50 states, and 48 out of 50 state capitals. We, KESCAC, put out a call to action on social media to share anything and everything related to Dr. Lee and her work that people might have, and the response has been incredible. I have attached some image files of samples of recent submissions, and we put out a call to action to all of our myriad contacts everywhere. All of us were hoping you could help by submitting your own notes or personal effects that you might have in your possession due to your close acquaintance with Dr. Lee. In addition, please forward this letter to any of your contacts who may have also known Dr. Lee. I hope to hear from you soon. You could contact me through my mom, in brackets, Margaret, at margichin at gmail.com. Also, I'm sorry if you emailed me earlier. Right now there is no way for me to read it because my parents both combined their vacation time and dragged our whole family on this RV road trip and we we're in places with no cell service. And my mom still won't let me have a smartphone for myself even though I've been class valid Victorian for two years running. Sincerely, Olivia Chin. What clubs, hobbies and labours of love unrelated to the Institute do you recall Dr Lee talking about the most? Choose any and all that apply. So we've got the Little Citizen Scientist Club, which we obviously know about. So yeah, she'd have, she'd have talked about that for sure. The Southern California Succulent Society. It did say in her obituary that she did talk about that or had that. So yeah, I think that makes sense. Like she's into her plants as well as her animals. The Cryptid Discovery Hour alumni. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got cryptid in the title. So definitely. Oh, of course, Discovery Hour would be one of her shows, right? Yeah, definitely. Templeton Community Gardens. Um, again, I think I remember that in her obituary as well. It would make sense. Like, I think anything in her obituary would be true. It's very hard for us to make up stuff about her. The Bird Up Amateur Birding Association. I mean, great, great title. I, I wouldn't have heard that, though. I think all of these things will be something she'd be part of, but I wouldn't have heard this one. The Cryptid Appreciation Club, in brackets, domestic and international school chapters are listed elsewhere. Ah, definitely this one. And I think I'd probably be in a part of this one compared to the Little Citizen Scientist Club, I think. The Fun Guys Fun Guy Society. Man, I wish... Oh, um, what a great name. I'm going to say no, she, she wouldn't have talked about that one. Just because I think, again, she's more about her animals and wildlife over fungi, I think. Same goes for the SoCal Mycological Society. The Sunny Slope Environmental Justice Project. Um, no, I, I haven't heard of that one. Desert Rodenta Council. Um, I mean, that makes sense. That's her life project, so yeah. The Urban Wildlife Community Project. 
Uh, probably, I guess, around the Institute. She probably would have been involved in that. I like the idea she's one of those academics who's in lots of different projects. And that's why she's always busy. And probably that's why she had a really tough time at the Institute because all of her hours are packed with all these extracurricular stuff as well as her own research. Then you've got the Santa Ana River Society. Um, probably less so on that one, I think. And then finally, we've got Wildlife at a Distance Citizen Educators Network. It makes sense to actually be part of a network, for sure. Academics are always in networks. Okay, so we've got a couple that she's definitely a part of. Now, choose one amongst your selection to reach out to a Whom It May Concern letter about 100 words, telling them that Dr. Lee held that organisation in high esteem and you hope that you may have something of hers to share. Okay, well, I know I'm going to go for... Oh, actually, I've got between the Cryptid Discovery Hour alumni and the Cryptid Appreciation Club. I think... Just because I think I'm going to be the one that's most connected to it, I'm going to go for the Cryptid Appreciation Club. So we'll do that one. To whom it may concern, my name is Amy Parker, the head of the Cryptid Research and Rehabilitation Hub at London Zoo, UK. I'm writing on behalf of Olivia Chin, the president of the Keystone Elementary School Cryptid and Appreciation Club, or KESCAC for short forwarding on their call to action regarding Dr. Lee's work to you, in brackets, see attached letter. I know Dr. Lee held your association in the highest of regards and respect and had very strong connections with you. I am hoping you are able to help with this endeavour and share any information you have on Dr. Lee's research. I know that both myself and Olivia would be truly grateful. Looking forward to your correspondence. Amy Parker, Wildlife Educator, Cryptid Research and and Rehabilitation Hub, London Zoo. Oh, I'm guessing these are some of the images that uh, Olivia sent me. So what we've got, we've got a postcard from a young girl named Sophie to Dr. Lee with a drawing of six-leaf clover. My ma says it's not a new species, but I want to make sure I've drawn it below to show you. And the other side features the photograph of Northern Lights. There is a note from a person called Max telling the recipient about Dr. Lee, writing to them in an encouraging note and sending along guest passes to their local natural history museum. The guest passes are annotated with a note from Dr. Lee. My favourite exhibit is the domestic house cats. Tell me what you think. Dear friends, I'm sorry I do not have further information on Dr. Lee's research. I wrote to her some years ago to tell her how my kids loved her videos and had a burgeoning interest in science. She sent back a lovely encouraging note and guest passes to our local natural history museum. We've been. My daughter didn't want to part with Dr. Lee's notes, so we kept the passes. We are rooting for you. Best, Max. Ah. Oh. We've got here uh, a note from Chris Ng from Southern California Succulent Society. Dear Olivia, thank you for your kind letter. We're all devastated to hear about the passing of Elizabeth and the difficulty you are having in accessing her work. Sadly, we do not have any information about Elizabeth's research. She did not speak about it much in our company. If you like her opinions on soil drainage or her distasteful lit hops, in brackets, mostly an inability to keep one alive despite her other talents, I would be more than happy to oblige. I'm including a picture of my Crassula ovata, in brackets, ogre ears, or golem plant, which propagated from a small cutting that Elizabeth gave me many years ago. I hope it brings you some comfort to know that cuttings from Elizabeth's succulents have spread and propagated across the world, and, in a way, a part of her will always live on in our planter boxes and hearts. With love, Chris Ng, President, Southern Californian Succulent Society. Finally, there's a note from Dr. Joshua Garcia, recounting a time before he acquired his PhD, where he once ran into Dr. Elizabeth Lee at a fast food place and wanted to request her autograph. 
Instead, she bought him lunch and chatted for an hour while she asked about his work and research. Dear friends, sadly, I do not have any Dr. Lee's research to share. I only met her once, when I was a graduate student caught in the crossroads between staying in my field or burning it all down to go be a finance guy, work for a bank or something. I didn't even plan to meet her. I was at a fast food place and I saw her in line. She looked sad. I shouldn't have approached, but I had been a fan of her show for such a long time and I just wanted to tell her that. The moment I said hello, her demeanour completely changed. She was warm, welcoming. She asked me about my studies and my life. She bought me lunch and then she sat with me and we talked for an hour about everything. She didn't even talk about herself much, although I would have loved to. She was curious about my work and my research, not that it amounted to anything back then. It felt like I was talking to an old friend. It felt strange to ask for a signature after all that, and neither of us had any paper, but I still asked. She signed her receipt and gave it to me. I stapled it to the front page of my first notebook I used to take notes in my PhD thesis. We never talked again, but I wish I could tell her she was right. I did it, and I am Dr. Joshua Garcia. And then there's like an attachment which says, a note written to Joshua on a fast food receipt reads, Dear Joshua, I absolutely believe in you. Go forth, Elizabeth. What else will Amy Parker uncover about Dr. Lee and her rich yet complex legacy? Is she still alive? And is the Dipotamus antilocapra, aka the pronged horned desert rat, real? Find out next time on What Am I Rolling? The What Am I Rolling podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Fiona Howard. This episode's player was Fiona Howard. This episode's RPG was Field Guide to Memory, a connected path game about legacy, wonder, cryptids, and the vastness of a human life, designed by Yeon Shim and Xingying Kuo. You can find out more information about Field Guide to Memory and get your own copy on itch.io. The theme music was 8-Bit March by Twin Musicon of twinmusicon.org, licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. If you want to find out more about the podcast, check out the website. That's www.wairpodcast.com. Fancy getting in touch? Email the podcast at whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at wair underscore podcast for latest news on upcoming episodes. And remember, adventurers need not apply.